You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. A few years ago, I was visiting my eldest son, his name's Riley, and he was in California doing an an internship for a few months, and I went to visit him. And while I was there, I was preaching at a youth service, which he attended, along with some friends of ours. Their names are Corey and Amber, and you will meet them again in the summer when they come here to be the speakers at The Gathering, which is our youth camp in the summer. And so they were there and I preached. And after the service, we went back to my hotel to hang out, eat food, and just, you know, sort of be together. It was really nice. And so we were there in the room. We were eating, we were talking, we were playing music. And unbeknown to me, although it sort of makes sense, you had me, Riley, and Corey in a room. That equals noise. And so it was quite loud and we didn't realize that we were disturbing the guests in the rooms either side of us. And so security came up, knocked on the door and said, we've had a complaint, uh, sir, about the not. I said, I'm so sorry, no problem, we'll, we'll dial it down. I then said to Riley and Corey, the main perpetrators of the volume, guys, you've got to quiet down or you're going to have to go. Oh, we will, we will. By 2 a.m., after continuing the party, um, they, it came time for them to leave. And as we opened the door and kind of I was walking them to the lift, as we call it in this country, not the elevator, as they call it, but to the lift, right? Two massive guys from the room next door came out to take issue with us about the noise. I'm talking Bond villain style big guys. And so there was an altercation. No one got injured, but it wasn't very nice. It was a little bit threatening. Everybody calmed down. Riley and Corey and Amber and everybody left. And then I realized I'm on my own. As I go back to my hotel room next to all of the villains from every Bond film that are all sharing a room next to me. And so the next morning, I was a little bit nervous. I was a little bit scared. I went to open my door to go for a run and I heard a crash. I looked down on the floor and an iced coffee had been balanced on the door handle of my room. Now I'm like, is this related? Because this is not very mafia-ish. This is a little bit more millennial style of intimidation. Just put an iced coffee on your door handle. Anyway, it made a loud noise. And so I panicked and ran back in my room thinking, surely not. So I looked through the peephole, kind of waiting to see if anything happened, didn't see anything. So after a while, I thought, I'm going to have these guys. I'm going to open the door, then I'm going to let it slam, but stay in the room and see if anyone comes out. You're smiling on the outside. On the inside, you're like, you're a weirdo. So I did that, opened the door, let it slam, coughed a few times, (laughs) you know, let the door slam, put my eye up to the people, and sure enough, Four lads came out of the room and headed towards the lift. I was like, I'm not being paranoid. I'm going to die. (laughs) After about 60 seconds, they all came back and went into into their room. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to die. I'm going to die in a hotel in California. I'm never going to see Zoe again. This is a nightmare. So I waited and I waited and I waited. And after a bit, I just thought, you know what? I'm a child of God. I'm going to go for a run and no one's going to stop me. So I opened the door, stepped out, 
and so silently, <laughs> like closed the door, putting towels and sponges and all sorts of things to try and soften the noise. And I tiptoed down the hall. Then we went out for the day and all of that and it was all good. But then I realized that at night I would be coming back to the same hotel. Now I'm gonna put up on screen a, a picture of a friend of mine, his name's Joey. Joey is an officer in the um, Buena Park PD. He's a police officer and recently has joined SWAT. SWAT stands for Special Weapons and Tactics. In other words, he's rock hard and he's always armed. I've never met him without a gun on him. So at night we were hanging out and I said, hey Joey, why don't you come up to my room for a minute? <laughs> and you would not believe the confidence I had walking down the corridor with Joey behind me, just like, yay, I'm singing, I'm laughing, I'm coughing, I'm going, I fancy an iced coffee, do you, Joey? Because I'm thinking, these guys have got nothing on this guy, and Joey's up for it. Like, he's a Christian, he loves God, but he's up for butting heads if it's necessary for the kingdom of God. And so, uh, I was so confident, and fortunately for him, nobody came out. I was like, thanks a lot, Joey, see you later. This message is called, I'm with him, because I want you to go away from this service with that feeling. The sense of knowing that your confidence can come from who you are with. It doesn't matter how small or wimpy I am, because I'm with someone who's not small and not wimpy. And so when we read this verse, it's talking about the blessing of God. And I want to put to you today, I want you to leave church this morning knowing that blessing is not something that's on its way to you. It's not something that other people have who have money or a better house or a nicer car than you. You have it right now because you are with him. Picture that scene of you standing there, knees knocking, bit like Mr. Muscle, vest on, skinny, no, but with two massive bouncers behind him. That's the image that I want you to go from, that you go with, that you are with him. This psalm is a declaration about the blessing of God, but we have to have an understanding of what it means to be blessed Otherwise, we'll read that psalm with the future in mind or with other people in mind. This psalm is for him because he has X, Y, and Z, and I don't have it. This psalm is for me, but in the future, because God has promised me blessing. I'm not, I'm not blessed now, but I will be in the future. But we're going to leave church today knowing that I am blessed right now because I'm with him. The Bible makes it super clear. In the Old Testament, the blessing in families was so critical that if you missed it, it defined the rest of your life. Sons would refuse to leave the father's house until he, father, had blessed them so that they could go and live, walk, talk, do business, uh, build family in the blessing of the father. The famous story of Jacob and Esau is kind of about two different things. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Jacob is the younger son and Esau is the older son. And so it was his right 
his birthright to receive all the stuff, the money, the property, the, the traditional measure of what we would say is being blessed. But when you break the story down, his younger brother sort of, you know, dupes him out of that. He kind of tricks him, trades the birthright for a bowl of soup because Esau, the older brother, is so hungry. He says, I don't care. Give me soup. You can have the birthright. And that's the famous part of the story. But there's another little bit a little bit later on where the father, Isaac, blesses Jacob. And it's that that Esau misses out on. And that's when the Bible says he cries uh, a, a bitter a bitter cry. I haven't got time to go through all the verses, but Genesis 27, verse 37 and 38 is that critical moment where Esau realizes, I've not got the blessing. Isaac answered Esau, I've made, I have made him, speaking about his younger brother Jacob, Lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing? Can you hear the desperation in his voice? Do you only have one blessing, my father? Please bless me too. Then Esau wept aloud. The blessing was not the stuff, it was something else. In the New Testament, Jesus was blessed by his father. You know, when uh, Matthew 3 says this, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, you and, 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 and do you come to me? He's like exasperated by this idea, and Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness, and John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and we saw he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting him, and a voice said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am pleased. Blessing has got not that much to do with your feelings about yourself or the world around you, but everything to do with the Father's feelings about you. And those can't change by your circumstances. They can't change by the interest rate. They can't change by your overdue MOT. You don't have the authority to change the way the Father feels about you. You are blessed, why? Because I'm with Him. Say it with me, I'm with him. Look at the person next to you, roll your eyes first that I'm asking you to do this, and then say, I'm with him. I wanna share with you three ways that God is blessing you right now. These are not things that you have to wait for. These are not things that you have to observe in other people's lives and think, well, the magic finger of heaven must have missed me. No, 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 these are ways that you are blessed right now. Number one, and if you are writing notes, and I would encourage you to do so, I would at least write these three things down because I want you to go away from church and I want you to wake up on Monday morning and I want you to go into a meeting on Tuesday afternoon and I want you to walk onto campus on a Wednesday lunchtime, wherever you go, knowing with confidence and conviction that I am blessed. Why? Because I'm with him. Number one, he has made me the way I am. I am his child. Write that down. 
He has made me the way I am. I am his child. And there's nothing you can do about it. The stats or the the scientists tell us that you have 9,000 taste buds on your tongue. You have 200 bones in your body, 600 muscles on those bones, 107 million cells in each eyeball, 60,000 miles of blood vessels, keeping your blood flowing, supplying your tissues with oxygen and nutrients and keeping your organs healthy and your heart going. You are a masterpiece made by God. The Bible says that he knows how many hairs are on your head. And for me and Rob, Rob and Darren, that's an easy job. But for Emma over here, who has long, thick hair, and everyone else in the room, it's probably a bit of a challenge. This Bible language is trying to communicate, hey, you're not just someone I know. You're not just someone I'm walking past in the street. I'm like Joey Lovatia, Captain SWAT Officer of Buena Park PD, Joey Lovatia. Where you walk, I walk because I'm with you. The Bible makes it so clear that the, 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 the confidence that we should live with comes from an, a, an unshakable source. You can walk into your office, you can walk into those situations that are intimidating, but you can hold your head up. I'm not talking about arrogance. And there is a fine line. I think the best way, and I know some of you have heard me say this before, this is what my youth pastor taught me when I was a teenager, the difference between arrogance and confidence is who gets the credit. Now, there's not a lot of visibility on who you give credit to, and you don't have to walk around saying, it's not me, it's Jesus, it's not me, it's Jesus, it's not me, it's Jesus. Someone says, I like your top, don't say, it's not me, it's Jesus. You don't have to do that. Neither do you walk around going, yeah, no, check me out. No, 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 you can have a quiet confidence that says, thank you for your compliment or your encouragement. I know it's because I'm with him. You are a masterpiece. Listen, Psalm 130, well, the evidence you need tomorrow morning when you wake up that you're blessed is called a mirror. Now, you've seen yourself first thing in the morning. I've only seen you in church mode with your makeup on and all your moisturizer and all whatever it is that you put on. So granted, I don't know what you look like, but before you look in the mirror tomorrow morning and try and muster up some kind of faith about the fact that I'm blessed because of this image that I see, make sure you read Psalm 139. Because it says in verse 13, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because, why? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are his masterpiece. Look at Ephesians chapter two in verse 10 in the New Living Translation says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I want everyone to stand to their feet. 
I'm going to put Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 10. Wow, seven or eight verses. And we're going to read this together because this is more than just trying to remember something, just like learning something by repetition. This is declaration, and I want you to read it with me. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. All right, we're going to go from 3 to 10. So if we run out, then we run out. All right, say it with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I feel like you don't have any more and I'm gonna keep going. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known, did we miss out eight then? It's okay. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Before you sit down, say with me, I'm with him. Say it, I'm with him. You can take your seats. The second thing that I want you to know and write down in your notes this is how you know you're blessed, is that he paid the price to have a relationship with me. He paid the price to have a relationship with me. That's already happened. We say this language in church, the victory has already been won and there's nothing you can do to undo it. We celebrated it at Easter just a couple of weeks ago, but we know that we celebrate it every weekend, in fact, every day, because God gave everything to defend you. John 15 says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lie, lay down his life for his friends. John 3, 16, the most famous verse ever probably, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You are with him. That verse does not say so that whoever works hard enough. It doesn't say whoever looks cool enough or is talented or connected or popular enough. It says whoever believes. So your problem, if I could be so bold as to suggest, is not that you're not blessed. It's that you don't believe enough in the one who blesses. I'm, I've read the Chronicles of Narnia this year. 
The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This amazing story by C.S. Lewis is part of an overarching story that creates some of these most amazing pictures. And there's a character called Edmund, and he makes a massive mistake. He kind of like, we would say, using Bible language, he, he sins. He makes this huge mistake and ends up that he needs to be punished. And there's an amazing moment in the story when Aslan, the lion, which is like a picture of Jesus, takes the punishment for Edmund. And he gets to this point where he realizes not just that someone else, not just that he's, he's forgiven, not just that the punishment's not coming on him, but why it's not. And it's a humbling, amazing, sort of strange moment, strange feeling that we all who are Christians should have on a regular basis, not just that I'm forgiven, but why or how I'm forgiven. God paid the price to have a relationship with you. Number three, and the last thing before we come to a moment where I really want us to, to worship God together with a newfound spiritual intelligence about what it is to be blessed. The words of the new song that the team taught us this morning were so in line with what I'm talking about, about joining with the angels, about realizing that there's more going on than what we can see. The third point is this, is that he is committed to making you more like Jesus. Now this is significant, he is committed to making you more like Jesus, or I've put it in first person, he is committed to making me more like Jesus. That's why you can write it down and you can declare this. That's why I chose that way of saying it. This helps us deal with the fact that our circumstances sometimes are in direct opposition to what fact we know. The fact is we're blessed. But what about when our life doesn't seem very blessed? Well, this is gonna help us with that. Philippians chapter one, verse six says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is using everything that you've ever been through to produce something in you. You could argue that God makes good things happen and the devil makes bad things happen kind of seems to line up with some of the things that we believe, but I've never been able to find the theology to back that up as an actual statement. But what I will say is that life happens. Who made it happen that way? I don't know, or I'm not saying in this moment. Life happens and both heaven and hell hold their breath waiting to see just what we're going to do with it. Romans 8 verse 18 says this. I, this section of this passage is titled present suffering and future glory. So this is speaking right into that. Hang on a minute. This is attention because I know I'm blessed because the Bible tells me, but my life doesn't feel very blessed. Well, it says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation, heaven, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. There is no wasted time in God. Someone in this room needs to hear that. 
because you're thinking about your life and your circumstances and you're thinking like I do sometimes, we could have avoided all that. Why did that have to happen? Well, there is no wasted time in God. I'm not suggesting for a minute that God made those things happen, but all of heaven is waiting. And I believe God, by his Holy Spirit, is whispering in your ear, don't worry, because I'm with you. Don't worry, you're not going through this on your own. I'm with you. Zoe and I have spent three and a half years renovating our house after being ripped off by a builder. And there have been days when I've thought, what a waste of time and money. Every Friday and Saturday, for as long as I can remember, I've had scruffs on, a paintbrush, a drill, or whatever it is, been working on the house. And if that hadn't happened to us, I would never have had to do this. And I was under the floor yesterday with my little brother, Keith, trying to do the plumbing and swap the radiators and all the stuff that the builder should have done. Three and a half years later, and I'm under the floor with spiders, cobwebs in my hair. But you know what? I I have learned so much in the last three and a half years, not just about DIY. I'm talking about patience. I'm talking about about living with conviction. I'm talking about not just being rocked by my circumstances, but remaining faithful. I've I've learned about what's important in my life. I've learned to be grateful for my wife and my children and the fact that I have a house to ruin and then repair. The fact that I have friends around me and I'm part of this church and I've got such great leaders in my life. I'm like, if I had a time machine, would I go back and change it? Maybe, but first I'd have to say, how am I gonna learn all that? Have you got another way that I can learn that? Because if not, I think I'll stick with the plan. God is committed to making you more like Jesus. As we come into this time of worship together, I wanna go back to Psalm 128 verse one because it seems as though being with him requires something from me. It's not just, you know, all Joey in my illustration. It actually requires something from me in that moment. I have a relationship with Joey. He's my friend. I call him sometimes. We text, we FaceTime. He's probably more Willow's friend than mine, to be fair, as as most of my friends are. So let's see what is required from us. Psalm 128 verse one starts with, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience. So this is not passive. Blessing, walking around with that confidence and all that stuff that I've just described, it's not passive. It's actually something that you have to engage in. You have to be active in both fearing the Lord and walking in obedience. The Bible's got different words for fear. One that means terror or dread is not for Christians when approaching God. The Bible makes it clear that, that you know, Jesus will return and, and there will be a judgment. And if you are not with him in that moment, there should be some dread and some fear because it's no nonsense. God's no pushover. God's like, yeah, no, no worries, no biggie, no big deal. That's not what God is like. God is a judge. But when he looks at your sin, if you are a Christian, the cross itself says, hey, Father, he's with us. 
So it's not that kind of fear. It's actually a different word, which means essentially reverence, piety and reverence. Some translations of the Bible actually use the word revere the Lord rather than fear. So what does it mean for us to fear God? Three things, write them down. Number one, reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. Psalm 33 verse eight says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. And we could go through the Old Testament and the New Testament and make a big old list, and I did, I just don't have time to go through it with you, of all the qualities of God, His majesty, His power, His holiness, His justice, His mercy, His faithfulness, His goodness. We could do that and we should. And that's what worship is about in part. It's about declaring who God is because from that, we get to feel and know and live and walk and serve and give and talk and all the stuff that we get to do that with the, with the permission that comes from a conviction. I'm with him. I'm with him. You can go into that job interview that you, you know, thinking I'm not quite in that bracket, but I'm going for it. You can face that bully. You can, you can deal with that. You can say that you're sorry. You can forgive. Why? Because you're with him. Reverence and awe, hatred of evil. Proverbs 8, 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. It's an amazing story in Exodus about Moses choosing leaders. And it says, select people, who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. We're supposed to have some feelings about stuff. We're supposed to be infuriated by the fact that the enemy is ripping off a generation of young people, telling them things that are just not true because he doesn't have the ability to tell the truth. His native tongue is lies. And so anything that's not from the Word of God is a lie from hell. And our young people are literally taking this in day and night as they scroll through their phones and, and whatever it is. That it, and we should be indignant about that. We should be cross about it. We should be saying something about it. That's why we have a youth ministry. That's why we have a young adults ministry. That's why the church is here so that we can say there is a different way. And instead, instead of thinking, well, what do I, what can I say? I'm just, I'm just dealing with my own blah, blah, blah. You don't have to say that. Why? Because you're blessed. That's why. Yes, we've got to work and we've got to do stuff. And I'm not being deluded enough to think that everything's just rainbows and unicorns and no one ever says anything. No, I'm not talking about that. The person who wrote those Psalms was David. Have a look at his life. My gosh. Talk about a roller coaster. He's anointed king one day, the next day he's dribbling down his beard, pretending he's mad so he doesn't get murdered. It's not the next day, but you know what I'm saying. The third thing, reverence and all hatred of evil and just pure obedience. Obedience. That's why we've been going deeper every Sunday night since January. We've been trying to look, Steve, at what the Bible says 
about how we're supposed to live so that we can obey. I wanna walk down the corridor on, on Joey's like coattails, if you like, metaphorically. No, I wanna do everything that I, I can and should do that that metaphor gives me permission to do. So I wanna know what the Bible says about sex and relationships so that I can obey it. If you're a Christian and you don't know what the Bible says about sex and relationships, you have a responsibility to find out and we will help. But ultimately, you need to find out. I wanna know what the Bible says about money and generosity. And we will be a church that talks about it. We will talk about sex, we will talk about money. Why? Because everyone else is talking about it. And we have the answer in the book. And I refuse to let my children's education come exclusively from the world. It's gotta come from the book. Rafaro and uh, Sarah already said small groups are back. They're back. Small groups is not just about ticking a box. It's about putting yourself in an environment where you can grow together, where you can call each other out. You can do what you want on your own, but you sit in a circle or around a table or walk up a hill, Sarah, wherever you've gone, with a person, and before you know it, someone's going, hang on a minute, you said that last week, why are you doing that this week? You can hide by yourself, but you cannot hide when you're with other people. Sardines, remember that game? So hard, weren't it? Hide and seek, you hide by yourself. Sardines, one person hides, everyone looks. When one finds the person hiding, they hide with them. You've got 10 people playing, at the end, you've got one person looking and nine people in an airing cupboard, giggling. Laughing, coughing, ow, your elbow's in my tummy. Ow, you stood on my toe. You can't hide by yourself. Our discipleship nights are back. Tonight we start with worship night, and next week we're getting back into the Word again. We're going deeper again. And we don't need to sort of beg you or persuade you to come, please come. So No, I'm saying you're blessed, which comes from reverence and awe, it comes from hatred of evil, and it comes from obedience to God. So you've got to come and find out what the Bible says. And we're going to get into all sorts of stuff. I will be here anyway, because I want to walk in obedience. Because I want to look at my children, and I want to say, you are my greatest achievement, as I said last week. Now live like it, but also, I will be the best I can be. Because the psalm says, you will see your children's children. You don't live once. YOLO, you only live once. No, you don't, not according to the Bible. You live three times. You, your children, and your children's children. Three times. So don't make your decisions based on one lifetime. Make it based on two and three and beyond. Thank you for listening to this audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com.
We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 